Uh, good morning, church family. Yeah, just pray that I don't fall backwards here. <laughs> but welcome to the Lord's Day here at Evergreen. What a special day. I mean, every Lord's Day is special because, in essence, we're celebrating Easter every week. It's the Lord's Day because this is the day that the Lord resurrected out of the grave, defeated sin and death forever. And for those of us who have been buried with Christ, we will be and have been risen with Christ. We will live with Christ. This is the Lord's Day, and um, baptism is significant. I mean, um, this is a special day for us personally as a family, but baptism, one of two things that the Lord has commanded the church to do, baptize one another and to take communion. And so today's uh, sermon is going to talk about what is the significance of baptism in the context of the local church here, like Evergreen SUV. Baptism, baptism. And uh, just to, like I said, today we're just going to emphasize on why are we baptized publicly in the local church? Why does it matter? Why can't we just get baptized in our backyard swimming pool or or private ceremony with a friend or family member? Why does it matter? Why do we do this? Why do we have an audience? Why do we do this? And this, I'm hoping it'll be clear out of Acts chapter 2. So we'll be out of Acts chapter 2, 36 to 42. A little bit of context as we turn there. And I'll be reading on the NASB version, but a little bit of context. Jesus restores Peter. Peter has fallen, but he's been restored in a major way. Peter becomes a spokesman of the disciples. He gets up in in Jerusalem, probably at or near the temple site. And it's Pentecost, the feast of uh, harvest, and thousands of Jews have come to Jerusalem. It's packed. It's packed. It's an event. And Peter gets up, and preaches a sermon. And what happened before that, the church's birth, Pentecost happened, the Spirit of God falls on the, on the, uh, on the Christians, and boom, they're regenerated. And that Pentecost, believe it or not, happened on the first day. Perhaps maybe another reason why we celebrate the first day is the Lord's Day. The church was birthed on the first day. And then Peter preaches a sermon, and thousands repent and are baptized and included into the fellowship. So please rise. We'll be out of Acts chapter 2, 36 to 42. This is God's word. So the first verse will just be a summary. Verse 36 is just a summary of Peter's powerful sermon. Verse 36, Peter preaches, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. What is the effect? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, the Bible says, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. God is gracious. And when many other words, with, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 
verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is so good. You are good. Help us to see your son more clearly. Help us to see our place with your son more clearly through the preaching of your word so that we will love him more, so we will love one another more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So verse 36, a lot of chapter two is on this sermon, but verse 36, what do these sum up? Jesus is God, and Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, he is the savior of the world. And by the way, Jews, you crucified him. And they were convicted, and the Bible says they were just pierced to the heart, and just hit them like, whoa, he's right. The Spirit of God falls on them, and they're saying, what do we do? How do we escape God's wrath? And then Peter's response, he gives two responses, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What does it mean to be repent, repentant? In verse 38, Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized. Repent means to change your purpose. Change the direction. I used to follow after whatever I wanted. I used to follow after sin and let sin control me. Now I'm going to turn to you, turn my back on sin, and follow you, Jesus, as my Lord. I am going to follow you. That's the purpose of my life now. I'm changing my allegiance from this old life to with you now. I'm taking all my eggs that were in this basket, whether it was career, job, selfishness, family, relationships, education, comfort, money, status, pride, self-exaltation, whatever it may have been, and I'm putting my, all my eggs into Jesus' basket. I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. And baptism, as Pastor Paul did a wonderful job explaining what baptism is, baptism was a symbol of what was taking place in their hearts that Christ was taking over. Christ is mine. And he just comes and grabs 3,000 souls. <laughs> 3,000 souls, mine, 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 mine. And this word baptized in the original language is baptiz baptizo, which means to be immersed, completely immersed. And that's why here at Evergreen SGV, we believe in total immersion when we can. There's special circumstances, perhaps in the hospital, or, you know, we will perform sprinkling, baptism through sprinkling, but we, we believe in immersion, full immersion. That's why we did this. And it's a symbol of Spirit's work. And I found this uh, explanation by a, a theologian by the name of Andrew Fuller, and I thought this was helpful in terms of what does baptism actually symbolize? All right, so I'm just going to read through this, and I thought this was very helpful. Andrew Fuller writes, Baptism itself is a summary of our faith. I think you heard that from Pastor Paul. Baptism is a confession of sin and a picture of repentance. You see this in Acts. Baptism is a profession of faith in Christ. I'm putting my trust in you now, Jesus. It reminds us of Christ's humiliation and death and as he identified with sinners and of his resurrection from the dead, his death and resurrection. Baptism presents a preview of the bodily resurrection. Someday we'll have brand new bodies. And it portrays the radical nature of conversion that takes place right there in your heart. Now today I really want to focus on Andrew Fuller's last point. When rightly practiced, right? when rightly practiced, it distinguishes believers from unbelievers. The church 
from the world. All right. And Peter exhorts the people and 3,000, 3,000, about 3,000 people believe. Verse 41 says this, so then those who had received his words were baptized. What does this word mean, receive? That means that they accepted, they came to believe what was preached. They believed that Jesus is Lord and he is the Christ. They believed that. These Jews, thousands of people who were in Judaism, 3,000 roughly, believed. They received the word. So that's why at Evergreen SGV, we believe in believer's baptism. And as Pastor Dan labored and, and all the parents for the youngins uh, labored to make sure they, 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 we understood that, no, they understand the gospel. We need to make sure. So in essence, the leadership, pastors are affirming, yes, these who have been baptized, these eight who have been baptized, understand the gospel. They understand what, who Jesus is. He's Lord and he's the Christ. He's the Savior. We're basically endorsing it, and by the congregation, you're affirming, yes, no matter how young or how old, young brother or young sister, yes, you're one of us now. That's a big deal. That's why we believe in believer's baptism. And this, in, in this original language, baptizo, it also could carry the meaning of being dyed or colored, like dipped in dye, dipped in color, like, you know, and so, in essence, this marks every single one of us who've been baptized as Jesus' own. This is a big deal. This is absolutely a big deal. And, uh, and um, this really hit home to me when I went to Israel and was at the temple, perhaps maybe where Peter was preaching powerfully and 3,000 people were saved, perhaps. And the temple site is still there. The temple's no longer there. But in Israel, you, if we go someday, we could still see the site. And what you'll find outside of the Temple Mount are these mikvahs, all right? Mikvahs are used for ritual baths by the, by the Jews. They would clean themselves, you know, ritually as actor. And this is found right outside the Temple. And there's all, all kinds of mikvahs there. And in that sense, can you feel the weight of this? There's, it's Pentecost time. It's the harvest of uh, the Feast of Harvest, there's thousands of Jews there. It's at the epicenter of Judaism, at the temple. Jesus was crucified and killed. It was not a popular time to be a Christian, especially right then and there, all right? This is a big deal. And Peter, in essence, by saying, hey, repent, he wasn't saying just repent privately. He was saying, hey, put it out there. Go public with your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. He was calling for full commitment there. And guess what? 3,000, around 3,000 were baptized. Boom, all over the place. 3,000. You think, you think that would uh, make a scene? And, 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 the, and I could only imagine like, the Jewish leaders, the, the high priests, the Pharisees were like, well, what's going on? I thought we got rid of this problem. This thing has grown even more. So Peter was calling for some skins in the game. Put it out there, 3,000 souls, that you actually believe that Jesus is, is your Lord and your Christ. Show that your allegiance is with Christ. This is a big deal. Now today, is it like that today? You know, locally, you know, I would say America is no longer a Christian 
cultured nation. We know how things are moving. We know how things are moving. It's pluralistic. That means you could believe in a lot of different truths. Relativistic, it means your truth may be your truth, but my true truth is just as truthful as yours. That's the type of culture that we live in today. So you could keep it private and say, you know, I'm a Christian, perhaps. And then once you go public, you know, you're going to stick out. You're going to stick out, and people may call you, hey, you believe in that, you're judgmental, that's too old-fashioned. How could you believe that with, with modern uh, technology and new understandings? How could you believe that? And so you may undergo some of that. You may undergo some, like, job promotion issues, perhaps, job security issues. I've been in the secular. I understand how that works sometimes. But let's go globally now. Let's get out of our country here. Let's get out of our country Globally, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists who come to faith in Jesus Christ, as long as they keep it private, they might not be any issues. But as soon as they go public and get baptized, just like these eight did, I mean, there's major cost now. Things get ramped up. Things get escalated. And family members may disown you. All right? Persecution. Socially, you may be an outcast. You may suffer imprisonment. Maybe even death. That's the reality of some brothers and sisters around the world. And I think that's what it was more like in the time of Acts. I mean, think of it. Jesus was murdered. And guess what? James will be the first martyr, to Peter on down to John. They will all die. They will be treated as martyrs. This is not a, a popular thing to do. But the cost of it vetted these 3,000. Like, hey, you're willing to put out that you must be a true believer. Welcome to the fellowship. Very significant. And what was the effect? Because, you know, they demonstrate they have all this investment, all this commitment in the game. Those are strong Christ-centered culture. He's all I have. Jesus, you're all I have. Jesus, you're all I have. In that persecution, it kind of vets out the, the believers from the, from the non-believers. And right there, these were all believers. And in verse 42, look what happened. I, I want to take time. Why is it important to be able to identify who is a Christian? Why is it important to identify who's a friend and who's family? Who's a dear, dear friend who we care about? Who's a brother? Who's a sister? This is critical. Because in verse 42, this is, the, this is what church is involved with. This is what believers are devoted to, verse 42. So 3,000 people were devoted to one another. Say, I'm with you. You're with me. We're in this together. I don't know what's going to happen. They may come and kill us all, but we're in this together. And, and Jesus is worth it. Our Lord is worth it. He's a Savior. I must have him. So verse 42, I'm going to just go through this a little bit, slow, uh, a little bit slower here. The Bible says this. They were continually devoting themselves. Continually devoting themselves. Devoted, this word, in essence, carries away intense effort. They were into this. This is what I do. They were committed despite immense opposition. This is what we're going to be about. This is what I'm going to commit to. So as we look here, what were they committed to? And like I said, it wasn't popular to be a Christian at this time. First point, they were continually devoted themselves, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. 
They're devoted to the word with one another. The scriptures, the word, what the apostles were teaching. The apostles' teaching is in essence the Bible, the scriptures, what I have right here. This is why from this pulpit we preach the word. We preach the word of God. This is why, this is why I asked, uh, you know what, the only thing I care about in the transition, could, could you just build a new pulpit? That's all. I mean, and I didn't even know who's in the building. Brother Tommy Yamada built this thing, and it was, I didn't even give any specification. I just, I just could it be out of wood and kind of cover me up a little bit. That's basically all I said. I didn't get into this Ten Commandments deal-looking thing like Charlton Heston. I didn't get into the cross with the wood grain and, and, and these uh, nail marks on the cross. That's all. Like, God gifted Brother Tommy. I'm like, whoa, I'm blown away. I just wanted this pulpit to symbolize that God's word, the apostles' teaching, will be preached from the pulpit. Nothing else. This is about God's word. You are hearing from God right now because the word of God is being preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why. That's all I asked for. Everything else is bonus, but this is what I asked for. And Brother Tommy, thank you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my uh, preaching heroes, says, the primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the word of God. This is what we do. I just had a talk with my wife. This is what I do. Preachers preach, right? This is what we do. This is what elders, pastors do. We minister the word of God. And anyone who's regenerate, that means reborn, a Christian hungers for the word of God. Why, pastor, you ask? Why are we so into this book, ancient book? Why? Because God has chosen the scriptures to reveal himself to us in the face of Jesus Christ. The more you know scripture, the more you know Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you love him. That's how it works. The more you love him, the more you become like him. And that's the goal of a pastor. And now, apostles, they don't exist. These are the disciples. This is like Peter. This is John. These, these are these guys, you know. Paul, even. But elders, pastors are tasked with this today at this church family. This is what my role is, is to minister to the word of God. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Matthew 28, 19. Do you remember what he said? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't end there. Comma. There's another The verse goes on to verse 20. continues, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, that commanded you. So as an elder, as a pastor, who am I actually responsible for in terms of teaching? These are disciples. These are those who who have been identified as followers of Christ. This is who I've been called, charged to take care of. And globally, around the world, like I said, in some parts of the world, it's high stakes. People could turn you in. You could get thrown in jail. You could get stoned. You could get beaten. You could get killed for being a pastor. This is high stakes, so think about it. In some parts of the world, some of our faithful pastors, they will will be very cautious of ministering to others if they haven't identified themselves as Christians through baptism. Wouldn't you be a little bit nervous? Like, opening up the book and start preaching, I don't know if this guy or gal might turn me in. Think about, the, think about how high the stakes are in some of those countries. Baptism 
Not only is it an ordinance of Christ, it's a useful thing to see, hey, these eight, I, us, we've been entrusted to teach them all that Christ has commanded us through the apostles' teachings. This is a big deal. So point number two, moving on to point number two. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship, devoted to fellowship with one another. All right, fellowship. And we've been in this, on this theme about fellowship, the one another's. Remember how Jesus said, I, I give you a new command that you love one another as I have loved you, love one another. Love one another is to other brothers and sisters. Yes, we're called to love all people. Every single person in the planet we should love. However, we're called to love family at a different, more profound, deeper level. This is a different type of love we're talking about. So as a Christian, as, a, as, a, as, a, as part of the body here at Evergreen SGV, how do you know if they're friend or family? You, we need to know this. We need to know if we're looking to evangelize or if we're looking to edify and sanctify one another. We need to know this. We need to know this. So these eight... I want to encourage them. You have, in love, we're held to hold each other accountable. Mark Devers points out some points here. He's a pastor and, and, and a author. What is the congregation's responsibility? All right. what, what are we actually responsible for? Why, how are we responsible for one another in this fellowship? And he talks about one is to affirm that individuals are a repentant sinner. So, uh, you know, the pastors, we, we made sure that we talked to them and, and the testimonies uh, matched up to what they believed in. But you witnessed it. You're affirming that these are brothers and sisters and they're repentant sinners. Do they understand the gospel in essence? Right? Mark Dever says, do they understand the gospel? And in our role is to help them live as Christians. Help them live as Christians. Partner in holiness. Jesus says, love one another. This is how you love one another, by helping one another be faithful to Christ. I mean, in the, in the, even in the sports world, we understand this. I remember when I was working out, when I was much younger and, and fit, and I, I'd have to work out five, six days a week. I mean, this is what I did. This is what I did. The days when I worked out on my own, she just counting the reps. It's hot. I mean, do I really want to be here and check? I got it done. Hopefully, it was meaningful. But when you get other guys together, there's an exhortative force there. There's accountability. I look at the other guy working around. I mean, he's putting it in. I got to put it in. There's encouragement. There's spotting that I could push myself to a deeper level. Christian life is no different. Even in athletics, we understand this, but in the Christian life, we need one another. We need one another to be as holy and as sanctified and as useful to the master as much as possible. We need one another. We need one another. I mean, even with my own family, my children, they help me. I remember one time speaking harsh to somebody, not my wife, but um, somebody else. And they said, Papa, you know, don't you think you should apologize? I, what? I mean, minutes later, right? I mean, faith of a child, right? I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I need to apologize. I'm so sorry I spoke to you harshly. 
right? And, and this is where we need one another. Perhaps it's that, or perhaps, hey, I could see you growing. Hey, great job being obedient to being baptized. I know some of these young ones, like, do I have to get baptized in front of everybody? That was great. Thank, that was wonderful that you're obedient to Christ. Right? That, that, it all works together with one another. It's a powerful thing. We heard in testimonies where counselors, camp counselors, are able to help little, little ones to understand what it means to be more committed to Christ. That's how it works. That's how it works. We equip the saints. Fellowship. Who do we know that we need to be accountable to? Otherwise, do you know that? The one you're sitting next to right now, are they in Christ? You know, do you know this? Baptism is a clear way of demonstrating that I am a Christian. Right now, are you, are you sitting there right now having professed your faith in Christ? You know you're a Christian, but you just haven't been baptized yet. You need to be baptized as soon as possible. Notice how the turnaround wasn't that long here now. <laughs> Repent. Okay, great. Now go be baptized. It was pretty quick. You know? And I think one of the reasons why it was so quick because the, the stakes were so high. I mean, if you're willing to get baptized, then you must really believe this. Right? I mean, there, there's some urgency there. Like, all right, shoot, you're putting your money where your mouth is right there. Okay, let's do it. Boom. Boom, right outside the temple, right outside the temple, right outside the temple. Oh, you're out of your job. You just lost your job. Oh, you know what? Your family just disowned you. Oh, you better watch your back because you might get jumped in the alley. Oh, you might get arrested. I mean, you think, as you're getting baptized, you're saying, in essence, these 3,000 are saying, you know what, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it more than life itself. You're my greatest treasure. So if you're one of those people right now that you know that you are put your faith in Christ, Let's get baptized. So it's not out of compulsion, but it's in the scriptures, right? You just, this is a joy. Point number three. They were devoted to the Lord's table with one another. In verse 42, this it says they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. This is about communion. This is breaking of bread, breaking the body of Christ. This is communion. Communion here at Evergreen SGV, we practice this once a month, the first Sunday of the month. It's a special time. And like I said, it's one of two ordinances that we do. Today was baptism. In a couple weeks, it'll, it'll be communion. And communion should be, along with baptism, the most unifying time in the life of the church. Let me explain. This is where we all come together at the Lord's table. We we practice it, we come up, and we're served the, the elements. And in essence, whoever comes to partake is saying, yeah, you know what? We're in this, we're in the body of Christ. Think about what I'm saying now. You're coming up and looking at one another, and you've seen a long line of people and saying, you know what? We're in this together. We're part of the body of Christ. This is not about being married. This is not about having children. It's not about... Uh, I, I, I'm a man or a woman, I'm young or old. I'm upper class, I'm middle class, I'm lower class economically. It's not, I went to university, I didn't go to university. That's none of that matters. That's where everything gets leveled up. And all that matters, do you love Christ? It should be the absolute most unifying time in the, whole, in the life of the church, right then and there. So I remember uh, taking a road trip this summer 
we like taking road trips in our suburban, driving up north usually to Washington. And we made it up almost to the border, Reading or something like that. And then we pulled over. It was, it was the Lord's Day. So we, I asked my friend, hey, find me a good church out here. So we found this, place, this church. And it's a smaller church, kind of a country church. They have country churches in uh, California. <laughs> and we w- walked in, you know, a bunch of uh, the six of us. And... The preacher did a great job preaching on Isaiah chapter 6, and it happened to be Communion Sunday. I'm not sure if they do it every Lord's Day, but it was that Sunday for us. And so they've did it, they do it a little bit differently. They pass the elements around. You take it where you seat it, and the pastor did a great job and said, hey, this is communion. This is for uh, Christians. Please do not take this in an unworthy manner. It's an unworthy manner. If you have sinned against somebody, you need to repent before you uh, confess some sins. Do it so you could take communion in a worthy manner. Or if you're not a Christian, please do not take this because you're going to uh, experience judgment. And I don't want you to experience judgment. I was like, okay, thank you, Pastor. And so my, my family, my children, we took communion as we do here. And the older brother, physically older, and maybe one of the elders, he turns around, looks at me, and he goes, welcome to our church. Thanks for having us. This is wonderful. Do your children understand what they're doing right now? Right? They take it seriously. Do your children understand what they're doing? I say, yes, sir, they do. Thank you. I said, great. He just wanted to make sure. He just wanted to make sure. Because only Christians are to take communion. I don't want, I'm going to echo my fellow pastor, is I don't want any of us to receive unnecessary judgment. If you're not a Christian, you're not to take communion. But let me flip in the other way here. If you are a Christian, you are to take communion. And in essence, this is not only this private encounter with you and Jesus, but you're like looking at one another saying, we're in this together, aren't we? We're family, aren't we? We're part of the brotherhood and sisterhood, aren't we? Because of Christ. That's communion. And, and if you feel comfortable to take communion, if you haven't been baptized yet, you need to be baptized. This is a baptism message, right? So these are very clear things that God has given us. And, and it, it's a couple reasons. It's just to to continually remember what Christ has done. We could remember, for those of us who've been saved, what Christ has done through the symbol of baptism. But communion is for us to remember what Christ has done. Japanese, like the word is kansha. It's like this thankfulness, gratitude. Jesus, you were killed for me. Moving on to the final point, fourth point. They were continually devoted, continually devoted, to the prayers. They are devoted to corporate prayer with one another. One another. There should be a the, to the prayer. This is corporate prayer. This is where other Christians come together and look at one each other. Yes, brothers and sisters, let's come before the Lord. Let's show our dependence upon the Lord by praying. Corporate prayer. This is not just talking about, I don't think, I don't believe this is talking about the private prayer life, but this is corporate. We're coming together in Jesus' name and praying to the Father. Is, is demonstrating dependence upon the Lord. So can you see why baptism is a, why this is a public event. This is going public with one another. These eight publicly have said, I love Christ. Publicly saying, I love Christ. 
Although the stakes aren't maybe as high as it was in Acts chapter 2 or globally, they're committing to the same thing. They're saying, I love Christ. And those of us who have been baptized, you're saying, I love Christ at the workplace. I love Christ in our sports team, our our gyms. I love Christ in our uh, business interactions. I love Christ. Therefore, you live as Christ. You demonstrate that. You're marked now. And guess what? We have one another. Every single one of us, and praise God for these eight, we have one another to keep each other accountable. It's a blessing. It's an outward act to say, to say I am, my loyalties are with Christ. You're basically transferring old membership from old religion. If you come from a Buddhist background or you're an atheist or you're in, you believe in humanism and, and self-esteem, to say all my esteem, all my worth is in you, Jesus Christ. My allegiances used to be in family, uh, my career, doesn't mean these, you, can't, you, you have to give up these things, but now they're ranked under Christ. Now, Jesus, you are the head of the church. You're my head, and you govern all these things. You rule all these areas of my life. That's, in essence, what's happened here. And let me finish up here. Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47. I think this would be a word of encouragement for our church family specifically here. As we've been in, I don't know, four or five months of transition, look what this says, verse 46. Look what God did. Day by day, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, if you're still with me on the, in, in your Bibles. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, one mind in the sanctuary, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, fellowshipping. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity. Heart. There was a true, genuine fellowship, a true, genuine partnering with one another. The one another's was absolutely vibrant and vivid in this day. Verse 47, what were they doing together? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And look what happens here. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 16, I will build my church. That's what Jesus is doing right here at Evergreen SGV. This is the most exciting time to be here right now. You're in the right place. This is the place that you want to be a part of. You are going to see as we minister the word, preach Christ, pray for one another, and grow in fellowship with one another. Look what the Lord does. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus builds a church. I don't build a church. Pastor Rocky, what's your plan? I don't have a plan. Preach the word, pray for the people, love Christ, love on one another. Minister Christ to one another. And what does Jesus do? I will build my church. The Lord was adding to their number day by day who were being saved. Jesus says, I will build my church. And I, I have a word of encouragement. I think someday we'll all look back and go, wow, remember that time? Remember that time? Remember when? Remember when we were just kind of just transitioning? Remember that? By that time, I'll, probably, I'll lose all my hair. I won't have any hair back that time. Remember that time? By the way, I was losing my hair when I was coaching too. It wasn't because of pastoral ministries, that stressful. <laughs> if any of you guys are wondering, you can look at pictures online. I, I saw myself. But anyhow, you're going to look back and say this. Remember when? And God, thank you that I got to be part of this body here at Evergreen SGV. And these little ones, young ones, are going to go, 
thank you, God, that I got to grow up in this church family here at Evergreen SGV. I was taught the apostles' teaching. I had true fellowship with one another, genuine fellowship with one another, people who helped me live as Christ would call me to live. We had communion together. We're unified to the breaking of the bread, and then we prayed with one another, right? Jesus says, I will build my church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Christ, you are the head of the church. Christ, we love you. Christ, you're the one that we look to. Christ, you rule through, the, through your word. Christ, you're the beautiful one. Christ, you're the powerful one. Christ, Jesus, you're Lord. I thank you for those who were baptized today. I pray, Lord, as Pastor Paul prayed, that their faith will be crystallized and grown even more through the act of baptism. And I pray, Lord, that one another, we will help these ones and vice versa grow in our faith. Thank you for the universal church, but thank you for this local church body here at Evergreen SGV. Father, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over our church family. I pray, Lord, that we will grow in our sense of the brotherhood and the sisterhood in Christ Jesus, that we will start seeing each other as brother and sister. And as in the book of Acts, there was a sense of awe, feeling a sense of awe. And I pray we will have a sense of awe what you're doing. And I pray that we will share with one another, we will partner with one another, our resources, our gifts, our time, our energy, our hurts, our excitements, our joys. Father, I pray you bless this church family in this way, that we will have a greater sense of the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Father, I pray for those of us in here who know that we're Christians and need to be baptized, Lord. I pray, Lord, just as the Jews were pricked in the heart, I pray, Lord, that you would pierce their hearts and they would desire to be baptized, not out of compulsion, not because of preachers telling them to, but because this is what you said and you want, they want to be obedient to you. And I pray they will experience massive joy in obeying you in this way. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and you are building your church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.